I'm Brett Chang. And I'm Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for TGIF, February 4th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance, and tech, all in less than seven minutes. Brett, the one party leader nationally who's ever been on the Peaks podcast got ousted yesterday, eh? They call it the peak curse, Jay, and you hate to see it. <laughs> you do hate to see it. It seemed to happen really quickly, no? Yeah, well, you, you know, it's like that's politics. So for those who weren't paying attention, Aaron O'Toole, who is the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, he got ousted by his caucus. And so there was a vote and it wasn't even close. It was like 74 to 33 or something. And just like that, he is now no longer leader. And so the only ever guest we had on the podcast is out now. But maybe, Jay, we can make it a tradition where the new leader has to has to kind of come to us first, has to talk to us first. I, I like it. And and the new leader is Candace Bergen of uh, the, the Conservative Party. And that is the name of the actress who played Murphy Brown on the 80s sitcom that was big in my household, but I'm much older than you. I, I like honestly, I had no idea that they were the same. They had the same name, except when I Googled Candace Bergen and the actress was the first one to come up on Wikipedia and not the politician. And so that's how I learned about it. But that's a fun fact for people to know. But yeah, look, it's it's exciting times. There will be a full leadership for the Conservative Party that, that everyone will run in. And so I'm excited to see who comes out of the woodwork for that one. And not to make it too big of a deal. You love you love making it political. It's so you not might political, well make it political. But what Jay. was political was Murphy Brown, <laughs> to be quite honest, the original Candace Bergen, who was Murphy Brown. The Murphy Brown show was very controversial. She got taken on by the vice president of the United States because she was a single mom. That's how much things have changed, but it is... I, I don't mind doing a callback to 1980 sitcoms because this one was a big deal. I've never even heard of the show, but we'll just, you know... Well, I wish we could... I wish it was on Netflix so you could watch it. Brett, aside from Murphy Brown, Candace Bergen and Candace Bergen, what do we have for Peak Pals today? For our first story, Demand Drop. For our second story, Meta Moves. And for our third story, Super League. For our first story, housing prices could drop up to 20% in some of the most overheated Canadian markets. This, according to one of the, the country's top banking regulators. Brett, that sounds like bad news for me, but could be good news for you. Go on, go to it's, it. It's music for my years and every renter in the country. Peter Rutledge, who leads the Office of the Superintendent of Financial Institutions, OSFI, which is a tough acronym to say, told the Hurley Burley podcast, by the way, a great podcast if you're in the market, that Canada's housing market was in the throes of a speculative fever, and that once the fever abates in some markets where you had really rapid increase in prices, you could see a fall of 10 or 20%. Now, in markets where prices have risen more slowly, and in Canada's housing market, that means 15 to 20% annual gains rather than 30 to 35%, Rutledge said that he expected price gains to continue at a slower pace as interest rates rise. Pretty brave using the term speculative fever amidst uh, pandemic, but the Toronto Regional Real Estate Board made a similar prediction yesterday, saying that they expected price growth to slow this year and that we could even see prices fall slightly in certain months. Though they also reported that the average selling price for a Toronto home rose to $1.29 million in January. So maybe don't book the moving truck just yet, Brett. What's the real takeaway from Rutledge's prediction? Well, everything in the Canadian housing market is very unpredictable, including prices. And so while we've had this rapid growth over the past decade, it's not a sure thing that it's going to continue, especially with interest rates on the rise. For our second story, we're betting that Harvard sophomore Mark Zuckerberg didn't see this one coming when he created Facebook 18 years ago today. Congratulations to Mark Zuckerberg. Facebook's parent company, Meta's stock collapsed as much as 26% yesterday morning, wiping out over $200 billion from its market cap 
after the tech giant forecasted weaker revenue growth this quarter. Jay, what's going on with Meta? It looks terrible out there. Well, this is happening in the real world. Meta's biggest one-day drop in history arrives after the tech giant experienced its slowest period of growth in its history last quarter. Meta's facing challenges on multiple fronts, increased competition from newer social media platforms and regulators breathing down its neck, all while it pivots to the so-called metaverse. And don't forget, Brett, we've covered all the other big tech giants this week as well, from Apple having a great quarter last year to Alphabet doing a stock split. So there's a lot of tech news happening among the giants. Yeah, and Apple is very much involved in this one. That's actually Facebook's biggest challenge. So beside cutbacks by advertisers over rising costs and supply chain disruptions, Apple's privacy changes. So this is the pop-up on your iPhone that says, do you want this app to be able to track you? That makes Facebook's advertising channel way less efficient than before because the vast majority of people say they don't want to be tracked. And so the channel just becomes less efficient for advertisers. And Apple's change alone may trim, believe it or not, $10 billion from Meta's revenue this year alone. That's that's Tim Cook going to war with Mark Zuckerberg. It is. It's like Palo Alto and Menlo Park going to war and Cupertino as well. And here's why it all matters. Meta faces stiff competition from TikTok users as well, especially younger ones, the time and attention and a turn for those valuable ad dollars. However, prying users away from TikTok will be challenging for Meta, which has been grappling with a decline in young users for years. Kind of an understatement. Zuckerberg says Meta is investing heavily in its TikTok rival, Reels, but it currently is nowhere near as profitable as Facebook's newsfeed or stories. All of this might be why Zucks pivoted the company to the metaverse with growing competition from TikTok, the Apple privacy changes and the regulators breathing down their neck. Zuck is hoping that the metaverse will save the company. Jay, when was the last time you went on Facebook? I like Facebook. I'll tell you what I do like about Facebook is their videos, but I'm I'm the I'm the right demo, which is a real problem for Facebook. Yeah, it's kind of fun to see this happening in real time. I don't go on Facebook at all, and most people I know don't go on Facebook at all. But and here's the problem with his pivot. Meta's Reality Labs, a segment of the company tasked with building Zuck's vision for the metaverse, it lost as much as it spent in 2021 alone. And investors have said that Meta's slower revenue growth and higher spending on the metaverse is a concerning combination because it could be a while before Meta reaps the rewards of the Metaverse ambitions and still a bet even then. It's not a sure thing. So what's next for Zuckerberg and Meta, Jay? So yesterday, Zuck said, quote, although our direction is clear, it seems that our path ahead is not quite perfectly defined, which roughly translate to who the F knows, Brett. I'm surprised you didn't say the word, Jay, since you love swearing so much. I do. I've been covered <laughs> nationally for it, but I didn't want to swear on the Peak Daily. I, people have very, we want to be proper on this show. Yeah. For our last story, will the sport's top players entertain the idea of a breakaway league trying to take over the PGA Tour? The Saudi Arabian-backed Super Golf League is trying again to court the world's top 100 golfers. This according to U.S. golfer Phil Mickelson, who is ranked 38th on the PGA Tour. Brett, I kind of follow golf, but not nearly as much as Bonnie and Joel Rosenthal in South Florida. This sounds pretty dramatic. What's going on? Well, you got to imagine that they could have come up with a better name than Super Golf League. That's where I'll start. But if you actually remember the Super League from last year when it came to soccer, this model uh, and the failure of it has clearly not deterred other billionaires from proposing breakaway leagues in other sports. By the way, for some context, what happened last year is that all the richest teams in European soccer got together and they wanted to create a competitive league just for them where nobody could be relegated. And now the Saudis are trying to do something very similar. So the Super Golf League, which is mostly funded by the Saudi Arabian Sovereign Wealth Fund, would directly compete with the current PGA. And that's the major golf league right now. 
and they would host 18 events around the world that worked around the existing four majors and the Ryder Cup. Now, gimmicks would include 54 holes, the standard is 72, and shotgun starts, everyone tees off at the same time on different holes. Players would be grouped into teams of four and compete simultaneously for both individual and team prizes just to jazz it up. Negotiators made lucrative offers for the world's greatest players back in May and really dating back to 2014. But this week, superstar player Bryson DeChambeau, who's ranked ninth, has reportedly been offered more than $135 million to become the league's face, this according to the score. But here's the problem. Players who join the SGL, we've already given it a shortened name, face a potential lifetime ban from the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour, and will have to sit out the Ryder Cup, which is a biennial U.S. versus European uh, team tournament. And so while most players are against the notion of a breakaway circuit, this competition has actually allowed the players to have some leverage to improve their environment on the PGA Tour. So the PGA Tour has increased the prize money for the Players' Championship from 15 to $20 million and has created a $40 million impact program, which is basically free money for its 10 most popular players including on social media. And so they, they measure them on social media. So Jay, what's the takeaway from the Saudi attempt at a breakaway golf league? Well, it remains to be seen if players will bite, but if they do, the success of Super Leagues largely rely on the buy-in of fans who question the intention of a slew of billionaires trying to reorganize the sport they love, or as Rory McIlroy, who's ranked six, calls it, a money grab. Peak Pals, thanks for making us the most listened to. And only daily Canadian business news podcast in the country. If you've got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. As always, thanks to Dale Richardson and 306 Media Productions for putting together this episode. Thank you, Dale. And thank you, Brett. And Brett, I just sent you a gift, the full DVD set of Murphy Brown, because I really think you're going to like it as soon as you get a DVD player. Yeah, I got to get a DVD player first. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoy the show. 